turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we'll be picking up our study, our lesson this morning. I really like the way that, that Paul broke down this book uh, in writing to, to the church of Corinth. Uh, chapter by chapter, um, or in the matter, he, he broke it down uh, to several different categories, reminding them of, of their responsibilities as a Christian and in their role in, in the church. And isn't it, isn't it exciting to know that the Bible, the Word of God, has really the answers for everything in life, uh, everything that we may experience in our life. We can go to God's Word, and, and there we can see, see the answers to it, uh, or the principles there anyway. And so that's, that's pretty encouraging. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, before we actually get into this particular chapter, uh, chapter 1 was talking about what? Do you remember? You need to, if, you, if you're, I encourage you, I, I don't know about you, and maybe you feel you can't do this, but I do a lot of writing in my Bibles. Matter of fact, once I, uh, once I fill up a Bible with a lot of writing, I usually move out of that one into another brand new one uh, so I can start filling it up again because what I find myself doing is is relying more on my notes, what I've written in the past, on a particular passage, and and uh, sometimes, but for me personally, that um, it's, once it's full, it kind of hinders me from maybe having a, just a fresh look at it. So I like to write in it, fill it up, and then get a new one. And uh, this is uh, a new one that I just purchased, and, and so I'm starting to hopefully fill it up this year. I'll use it throughout the year and uh, get it filled up, and then I like to start the new year with a new Bible and fresh start. And, and that, that may not be you. That's just me, okay? And I'm a little OCD about some of that stuff. So whatever you do, but I encourage you to take some notes in your Bible. The reason why I had a, um, a theology professor that's one that got me started doing that. I always carried a notebook along with my Bible and took all my notes in my notebook. And uh, then he said well, one day, he said, what if you have your Bible and you don't have your notebook and you're going to miss some of those golden nuggets that you've dug out? And he said, what better place to have some of those notes than right next to the scripture that the Lord illuminated for you. And, and uh, so he started me through a, really a, uh, a lesson on how to write notes in the Bible so that it makes sense and how to draw the proper lines and circle things and just really had a very good system. If you're interested in that system, be glad to work with you one-on-one and help you out there and show you how to do that, uh, like my professor did for me. Uh, but anyhow, I encourage you to do that. Take some notes in there and, and uh, so you'll have it. So in chapter 1, we were talking about what? Paul is addressing the Christians what? The, but their calling, right? The whole reason for the letter is the division of the church and what's taking place in, in the church. <laughs> uh, but in chapter 1, he's reminding them of their calling. Now, we can apply that to our lives also. We have a calling as a Christian, right? Uh, there are some uh, responsibilities that we have as a child of God. He's reminding them of who they were as individual Christians. In chapter 2, he's reminding them of their what? You remember? Of their message. There he revealed to them the mystery, uh, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so so he was sharing with the Christians uh, there at Corinth uh, their message that they, the church, were responsible for getting out. And that is our responsibility today, to get out the message, uh, the gospel message to as many people as we can. In chapter 3, he touched base on what? Do you remember? The church. The Christian church. 
uh, and some of the responsibilities and role of the church itself. And in chapter 4, he's touching base on what? The Christian's what? Ministry, the Christian's ministry. Uh, in particular, he's talking about the ministers uh, of the church, but it rolls over into our ministry as as a a church. Okay, I like how I like how he broke that down, and, and it really uh, makes the scripture come alive when you can see the structure of how he started writing this letter uh, to the church at at Corinth. Before we go any farther, let's just stop right here before we roll into chapter four, and let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's take this time every week. Uh, to offer up and maybe give some prayer requests uh, that you may have or praise report. Maybe God's heard and answered some of your prayers and you want to just brag on Jesus a little bit. Let's, let's take that time in our, uh, before we pray in our Sunday school time to, uh, to do that. So any prayer requests or praise reports anybody wants to, to mention this morning? Yeah, let's do pray for Sarah. She was here one Sunday, just found out she was pregnant, and from then on, she has been 666. So let's really pray for her uh, that she can uh, get over this, this sickness that she's experiencing. So let's pray for Sarah. All right, let's pray for Julie. That's where it is. Okay. You know that? Are you jotting these down for me? Please. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Continue to pray for Val and have her surgery on Friday. Uh, so let's remember to lift her up. Home. And that was really 
emotionally tough for my mom. So he would just pray for my family. And uh, we're probably going to be making a trip here soon and, and go down and, and check on them. So remember my family too well. They go through this sickness. And really, it's real close for my grandmother. Uh, but she is a Christian. That's a good thing. But just pray for her if you will, okay? So I appreciate that. Um, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Cecil, would you like to stand and just lead us in prayer? I know you won't remember all these requests, and the Lord does, but would you lead us, please? Amen. Thank you, brother. Okay, in chapter 4, let's just begin reading. And as we are reading this chapter, I want you to see that just as Paul painted three pictures of the church back in chapter 3, once again, he's painting three pictures of the minister of the church in chapter number four. And last week we dealt with the picture of a manager or a steward uh, that Paul painted for us in verses one down through verse number six. Today we're going to look at the picture of a spectacle or a uh, one on display uh, that he is painting for us in the verses seven down through verse number 13. But for sake of just reading God's word and, and getting within the context of the scripture, let's back up in chapter four, verse one. And let's read down through verse about number 13 or so, okay? It says that a person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ. Now, I can't help but pause once, once again there and just reflect that Paul included himself uh, with, with Peter and with Apollos as a servant of Christ and managers or stewards of God's mysteries. In this regard, it is expected of managers that each one be found faithful. It is of little importance that I should be evaluated by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. And Paul's saying, I've evaluated myself, but because I have evaluated myself and haven't really found anything wrong there, that still doesn't even justify me. That's what he's saying there. And why does he say that? He says, because the one who evaluates me is the Lord. And Paul's saying it. It doesn't really matter what you think. It doesn't even matter what I think about myself. It matters what the Lord thinks because he's the one that will, will judge us. That's what he's alluded to. In verse 5, therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes. who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And that's that judgment seat of Christ that I taught about, uh, I guess, maybe now two or three weeks ago. Uh, when we, we unpack the different judgments in the Bible, and one of those is the judgment seat of Christ, when we as Christians will stand before the Lord and we will be judged. And I like what he says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And uh, God, let me tell you something, there is nothing that will be hidden from the Lord. Uh, there's nothing that's hidden from him now, right? I mean, he sees the, the intentions, the motives of our heart. He sees what takes place in the dark the secret when we don't think anybody hears or anybody is listening or anybody sees or anybody knows. I want you to know that God sees. The Lord knows. He hears. Not only does He see our actions and hear our words that we're speaking, but also it says in that day He's going to reveal the intentions of the heart. Uh, he's going to reveal the motives. Uh, you, you, ever, you ever dealt with people and, and you hear them asking questions, hear them saying things, you say, well, I wonder what's really behind all that. You ever, you ever thought that when somebody walks away? Well, guess what? The Lord knows what's behind all of that. And that one day that will stand in judgment, not only our actions, but our motives, our intent, 
who makes you so superior. Now, you're going to get into a little bit here as Paul writes this portion of the letter. He's getting into a little bit of sanctified sarcasm, okay? Uh, he's been a little bit sarcastic, uh, but he's really trying to push them to repentance. He's trying to push them to the place where they see themselves so that they can see the errors of the way so that they will repent of their way. By the way, guys, before we can ever repent of our sin, we got to be confronted with our sin. Right? And that's what Paul's trying to do a little bit with this, this, um, uh, this sacred, I call it sacred sarcasm. I mean, he's just, he's just being sarcastic uh, here a little bit. And you'll see as we go down through here. He said, bro, who makes you so superior? And what do you have that you didn't receive. We're going to come back and unpack this. If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Already you are full. Already you are rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. Here it goes. I wish you did reign so that we also could reign with you. You hear the, the little sar- sarcastic flavor in his writing there. I think God has displayed us. Here's where I'm talking about the this spectacle, the display that's taking place. God has displayed us, the apostles. Where did he display us? In last place. Not in first place, but in, in last place. Like he, and he's displayed us like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. You hear the sarcasm coming out? We are weak. You are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. you got to understand a little bit what's taking place in Corinth. There was tremendous pride that had risen up in the people there. Almost, and that's what Paul is trying to address here. Verse 11, up to the present hour. We are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. Verse 12, we labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we entreat. We are, even now, like the world's garbage, like the filth of all things. I'm going to stop right there. What Paul is bringing attention to is really to the role of the apostles, that they are putting up on a pedestal that's filled the congregation with pride about following this one and that one. And Paul is saying, we as apostles, we are the Lord has put us up as a spectacle. He's put us up on display. But we're standing there very humble because look at the things that we are enduring. He didn't put us there in first place. He put us in last place. They're servants. He's already alluded to earlier in this chapter. So here he's trying to bring to light some of the errors and the thinking of the people there in the church at and he gives the second aspect of what we're going to be dealing with today about a true minister of Jesus Christ, how he is humble. And yes, he is on display. He's a spectacle to the world. People look and see what type of a person he is. And you got to understand, that's, 
God in verse number uh, down in verse number nine. Whenever he said that we are a spectacle to the world, he's talking. He's talking about the apostles. Now he's talking about himself and Peter and Apollos. He says we are a spectacle. We are on display. The church at Corinth was very familiar with that terminology. Matter of fact, the Greek word translated spectacle is where we get our English word theater. In other words, it's a place where we go sit and watch. If you know anything about the culture of that day, you know that the Roman Empire had the great Colosseums. They had tremendous athletes that would come in there and compete one with another. There you would go and you would watch these athletes as they put on their as they were putting on a, or a spectacle, if you will, in the theater of the Colosseum as they competed one with another. But then, to keep some entertainment in all the cities in that culture, after the athletes, maybe something like professional athletes, would compete, then they would bring in what you may be more familiar with, the prisoners. And they would allow them to compete with the beast of the day. Lions, tigers, or whatever else, man. The beast. You know that they were not going to conquer the beast. It was a way to judge and kill and martyr, if you will, the prisoners. By the way, many of the Christians in that first century would be the ones that they would parade in. That would be martyrs for their faith, and die there in front of thousands of people when the lions would consume them and eat them. So whenever Paul said, we are a spectacle to the world, that really hit home with the church at Corinth and the believers there because they really did understand what that meant. And then he doesn't say that we were the professional athletes. He doesn't say that we were the ones in first place. He doesn't say that we were the one that esteemed of honor and great strength. Matter of fact, he lists some of what they endured. And how they were put on the spectrum to the world, to angels, to men. And they were fools for crust, and they were weak, and um, they were dishonored, and they were hungry, and they were thirsty, and they were poorly clothed, and they were roughly treated, and they were homeless, and, and they had to labor with their own hands, they were reviled, they were persecuted, they were slandered, they were the world's garbage, they were the filth of all things. Anybody like to be an apostle? No. Those are the things that they endure. But here Paul is bringing to the attention of the church of Corinth the error of their way. They had become so proud and so egotistical and so wealthy and, 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 and really had risen to a level that, that they thought they were holier than thou and that they were living like kings when the apostles themselves were living like paupers. You see the sarcasm in the letter where Paul is trying to get them to see the error of their way. By the way, he also reminds them that, that they have been given these wonderful blessings. By the way, the church of Corinth was blessed. It was a blessed church. It really was. They had tremendous potential. They had tremendous spiritual gifts that were in that church. Problem was, they were using all of those blessings for their own glory and not for God's glory. Well, 
They were using it all for the praise of man and not for the praise of God. And then they were acting like they had attained all of this on their own. All the riches and the wealth and the spiritual gifts and all the abilities and the talents. They were acting like they had received that. That's what Paul is mentioning in verse number uh, 7. What makes you superior? What do you have that you did not receive? In fact, you did receive it, so why boast as if you hadn't received it? You see, the egotistical pride is filthy, it's nasty. It caused great division in, in the church there. So let me share with you that this passage of Scripture, really from verse 7 down to verse number 13, there are a series of contrasts that the Apostle Paul uses to try to really humble the Christian believers there at Corinth. Now let me share, there's four different contrasts that he used. And let me try to just bring those out real quickly and, and we'll be done with this. In verses 7 through 9, he used the contrast of kings and prisoners. Look, if you will, who makes you so superior? Why do you have, or what do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you didn't receive it, why do you boast if you had it? Hadn't received it already. You are full already. You are rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. Paul says, I wish you did reign so that we also could reign with you. Why do you say that? Because he knew he wasn't reigning as king. Okay? And I wish you did reign as a king so we could come and reign with you. For I think God has displayed us the apostles in last place. And like we have condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world and to the angels and to men. I believe that quote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. I'll make us all stop and think. Look what he says. Who makes you so superior? God we have nothing to boast about in ourselves. We have no reason to think that we are superior to anyone. sinners. Let's remember where we came from. Hello? That's one thing my dad always told me. He said, I don't care where you get in life, you remember where you came from, boy. I remember him telling me that all the time. Now, we need to apply that spiritually. Let's remember. Yes, we are priests and joint heirs with Christ. Right? Spiritually speaking. But we're, we're nothing without him. We're nothing without Christ. What? Or for whom makes you so superior? I think the best commentary on that particular verse is found over in John chapter 3, in verse number 27, and then in verse number 30. This is where I love this statement where John the Baptist uh, had his wonderful ministry taking place, had a great following. Disciples and crowds and people were following John the Baptist's ministry. Remember, he was the forerunner of Christ. They came out months before Christ did and, and, and set the way or, or made the way and prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. Remember that one day by the Jordan, he was baptized, and then he said, There, right there is the Lamb of God. He pointed out Jesus that day. Uh, but he was the forerunner of Christ. And, I love what John chapter 3 and verse number 27 says. And I think it's the best commentary of 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 7. It's the witness of John the Baptist of what he said. He said, a man can receive 
nothing except it be given him from heaven. See, these Christians at Corinth had received a tremendous amount of blessing from the Lord, but they had forgotten that it came from the Lord. We got to remember that the scripture also says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So everything that you're blessed with, I'm going to say something here, and I want you to let it sink in before you refute this. Everything that you have, everything that you're blessed with, that you enjoy, that you claim to be yours, is a gift from God. You didn't get it. God gave it. Hello? He said, but I worked hard for it. Who gave you your health? Who gave you your job? Who gives you the air that you breathe? You have no right to that air. That's God's air. Well, hello? And if you start charging for it, I doubt we can afford it. Hello? That's God's. Everything that we have, we need to realize that we are paupers, and without Him, we are nothing. John the Baptist said, he said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from God. You say, well, I got a good Christmas bonus. My boss man said it was because I was a great employee and on and on and on and on and on. Let me tell you who's behind the scenes working all of that. God. Hello? Everything that we receive is from the, from the Lord. And then I love verse number 30. John 3.30. That's my life verse. I've tried my best to live by the principles of that verse. John 3.30. It says, He must increase. And I must decrease. It's not about me. It's about Him. I'm just a servant. It's not about you. It's about Him. You are just a servant. What makes us think we are so superior? That's what Paul's trying to get out. Do you see what he's trying to say to these individuals? What makes us think we're like that? It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. What makes you think you're superior? We're not. We're just servants. We're just spectacles. Put on display for the world to see. And Paul led us how they were put on display. But you know what? In Christ... You can have no financial material blessings of any kind and still be one of the wealthiest people in the world, spiritually speaking. Well, remember I told you, I think it was last week, I said everything you own one day will belong to somebody else. The car you drive one day, somebody else will be driving that car. That may be because you sell it or trade it in, but it may be because you pass on and somebody else is going to take it. Somebody else will change the oil. Somebody else will clean the car. Hello? The house you live in that you think is yours, you've got to realize that's just a temporary shelter. The house this body one day, and it belongs to somebody else. <clears throat> you, you see, I guess we all really need to get the point in our life as Christians that we hold everything loosely. And just hold it loosely. Instead of just clinging to stuff and things and possessions like we've earned them and we've achieved that and we've got that and I'm holding on to that and look what I... No! Everything we've received has come from God. I like to live life like this. Just with my hands wide open. The Lord giveth, 
taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hello? And, and by the way, I have found out this also. If you live life like this, it's a lot easier for the Lord to place a gift in your hand than it is if you live life like this. Because you've got to pry your fingers apart and it, it, it's not worth it. Hello?
information about things. So you see the contrast between kings and, and prisoners. The next contrast we see in verse number 10, it's wise men and fools. He says, we are fools for Christ, but we were wise in Christ. Yeah, I remember the church there, the era of that day, and the culture of that day, there were uh, great um, uh, thinkers and theologians and people that would consider themselves wise of the world of the age. And Paul is saying that you're not considering yourself one that, but we just consider ourselves fools for Christ. And why was he saying that? Because those in the thinking world or the intellectual world look down on their mysteries, if you will, or their gospel that I've been teaching about and, and, and their faith in Christ. They, they really look down their nose at that. Paul said, that's okay. I'll, I'll be considered fools in the eyes of the world, a fool for Christ. But if you're too ashamed to be identified with that, go ahead. There's a little sarcasm here. He's trying to use that to convict them of the error of your way. You go ahead and consider yourself wise in Christ. But I take the identity of a fool for Christ. Hopefully and prayerfully you'll take that, that same identity. So Paul was a fool according to the standards of, of men. Okay, so let's go on down through here. There's probably more I can say there, but I think you get the point. Matter of fact, let me give you a quote. Here's a, here's a quote uh, by the martyr Jim Elliott. And several of you guys, I know our small group, several, sometime back went to see that movie. Uh, but here's a quote that he said. He, he said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I'm going to read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think that's a pretty good quote. So there's a contrast, wise men to fools. The next contrast we see in the very same verse, strong men to weak. Look what he says in the second part of verse number 10. He says, we are weak. Come on, you're so strong. You see how... You see how Paul is just pointing out his imperfections and yet the church at Corinth thinks they are so perfect and so upright and so holy and so now strong. He said, we are, we are weak, but you are strong. You see, there was a time when the Apostle Paul gloried in his strength. That's when he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Matter of fact, I want you to read. Let's go, let's go and let's look at that time. Let's go over to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. I'm really going to pick up in verse number 3, but I want to read verse 1 down to verse number 3 as you as you get there. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who, who uh, mutilate the flesh. And then he says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus. Now get this. And do not put confidence in the flesh. Now, I want you to look what he says. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh... I have more. Now he's going to share with you some of his rights uh, as a Pharisee that would have made him have tremendous confidence in the flesh as a religious ruler of that day. Uh, people would have esteemed him highly for putting his confidence in this. Get this now. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. 
tribe of Benjamin, okay, he was circumcised the eighth day. He is part of the nation of Israel. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law. That's not his, his, um, his lineage, if you will. Now, let's look at the, the secular side. As to the law, a Pharisee, well, that had great weight in and of itself to be a Pharisee in that day. As to zeal, persecuting the church. As to righteousness, this is in the law, blameless. It was recorded, and the Apostle Paul's dotting all the outs, crossing all the T's. He is blameless according to the law. He's keeping every jot, every tittle. He's doing what's right, and man ties. You see what I'm saying there? That's what he's saying. Verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. Now, Paul could have gloried in the flesh as a Pharisee. He could have identified and continued to remain identified, I should say, with the religious rulers of that day and been, been one of the elite that could have great glory in his fleshly accomplishments and received great status and prestige and honor among the men and the religious rulers of that day. But Paul said, in man's eyes, I would have been very strong there. In God's eyes, I would have been weak. And so I found out the greatest way to be strong is to become weak. And we're going to get there in just, just, a, just a moment. But there you see where, where he could have gloried in his strengths. But when he met the Lord Jesus Christ, get this, on that road to Damascus, to discover that what he thought were assets, all of the things I just mentioned there in Philippians chapter 3, all those things that he thought were assets, he realized were nothing but liabilities. Weights that hindered him from being what God wanted him, him to be. I'm going to get this, and I'm going to stop with this one because I'm out of time. We're going to have to come back and finish this passage of Scripture. Where did the Apostle Paul get his strength? In man's eyes, he could have received it all the accolades that were pinned on him with his religious rituals and how he had come up through that. But he counted all that as loss. He received his strength by becoming weak. Let's go there real quickly and in closing we'll stop with this one. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll stop with this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's just begin reading. But let's start in verse 1. It is necessary to boast, it is not, it is necessary to boast, it is not helpful, but I will. I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Let's come on down, verse 2. I know a man in Christ who was caught into the, into the third heaven 14 years ago, whether anybody out of body has a scroll. Verse 3. I know that this man would be in the body or out of the body. I do not know about those. I'm trying to get down to where I want you to get. Verse 4. was called to paradise. He heard that I'd come five. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except, except of my weaknesses. Here, here's the transition. Verse 6. For if I want to boast, I will 
not be a fool because I'll be telling the truth. Now, he could boast, but how could he be telling the truth? According to what I just shared with you in Philippians chapter 3, he could have boasted in that. He would not be a fool. He would be telling the truth. He says, but I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me and hears from me. Verse 7, especially because the extraordinary revelation is there for him, so that I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast of all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. Now, Paul is saying in man's view, in order to be strong, you've got to have all these accolades, if you will, that he mentioned in Philippians chapter 3. But the Lord said, if you'll just admit your weaknesses, if you'll just say, I am weak there, I am weak, I'm weak, in your weakest moment is really when you become the strongest person, spiritually speaking. Because it is that moment that now you're depending completely and wholly on the Lord Jesus Christ. And His power now can be released through you. But as long as you think you've got control of it, and as long as you think that you're the strong one and you're the powerful one and you can conquer it yourself and you'll make do yourself, you're really, you may be strong in man's eyes, but in God's eyes, you're, you're weak. Why? You're not dependent on Him. In our weakest moment, and Paul said, I had the thorn in the flesh, and it wasn't even a literal thorn that he could pull out. There was a messenger of Satan that buffeted him, another translation said, to torment him, to something that, something that hindered him. And he went to the Lord three, remove this. And I said, no. Because as long as you think you're weak with it, he said, that's when you're really going to be strong because you're going to depend on me and now my power can work through you. And God's the whole point of this. And once again, the focus is either on me or it's on God. So my strength that I think I have and in a man's world, they'll look at you as very strong. But God will see you as very weak. But whenever I get to the point to say, you know what, I'm weak, it's then that I become very strong because Christ's power will now work through me. Okay? That's the power I want to tap into. That's the power I believe that you want to tap into. And so let's realize it's all about Him working through us, and we're just a vessel. And that leads to a whole other teaching. Peter talks about the vessel of honor and dishonor. No, I can't go there and unpack that, but that's all we are, just a vessel. And hopefully, prayerfully, he will work through us. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. And, and Lord Jesus, I just pray that, uh, that you would open up and continue to open up our hearts and our lives so that we can receive your word and so that we can grow. We can be stronger Christians. We can be vessels of honor. And God, that you can use us so we realize that everything we receive Everything we are is because of what you've given us and what you've blessed us with. And we praise you for that. And we ask you, Lord, to keep working in and through our lives. Help us to be a good steward, a good manager, and a good witness, a good spectacle, so that the world can.
and see you through us. In Jesus' name we pray.